Praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol him, all, people, all you peoples. For great is his love towards us. And the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. The Gospel reading is Matthew 6, 1-8. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honoured by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners, to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. <clears throat> do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Thanks be to God. Am I on? Oh, yes, definitely on. Can hear myself now. Fantastic. Good to see you all. Uh, my name's Chris, for those of you who don't know me. Um, I'm just going to start, actually, with a little bit of an introduction, because I know some of, some of the people who've been around Totley for a while might know, might know me quite well, but there are many here who may not. So um, if we can, yeah, go on to the, the next slide for me, Chris. We're going to start with a little bit of disambiguation or disambiguation, right? Because there, there are quite a few gentlemen with glasses and beards around church. So you can see there, first of all, Joel. He's the one who's got a proper head of hair. And a beard and glasses, okay? Then there's Ben. He's got some hair and a beard and glasses. And then we come on to, to Johnny and I, who are less favoured on the follicle front. And we don't have a lot of hair on top, but we both have beards and glasses. So the way to tell us apart is I'm the one with the piercings and tattoos, okay? But it goes further than this, actually, because I realised once I'd done this slide that actually there's also another couple called Chris and Helen. And Chris also is follically challenged at the back there. Luckily, he doesn't have a beard, so we're okay there. Then I realised, of course, we've got another Chris who sat at the back who has a beard. Luckily, his beard is white and not brown, so there we go. So hopefully that's all clear now and we know who I am. Great. Glad we got that out of the way. Okay, next slide, please, Chris. So one of the things that people who know me... Um, will we'll kind of see as a key characteristic of me is that I, I run a lot and I run long distances so I like to run ultramarathons. You'll often see me out and about covered in mud out on the moors coming back home looking, looking tired and worn out but thoroughly enjoying myself out running. Um, next slide please Chris. Now 
I have just actually, I'm just between jobs at the moment. I've just finished one and just started another. Um, I was a cyber security architect for the London Stock Exchange. Ooh. Ah, yeah. And that's what people used to think I did. Sit there. It wasn't like that. If you do the next slide, please, Chris. It was much more of that, is what I did at the Stock Exchange. Um, but I've left that role, and I've now started as a, uh, a cloud consultant. And if we go to the next slide, please, Chris, we all know what clouds are made of, and they're mostly made of Linux servers. Thank you for the three people that got that. I, I see you, okay? The rest of you, that's an IT joke. It's not actually that funny if I explained it, so I'm not going to bother, okay? Um, next one, please, Chris. Oh, I think we skipped one then. There we go. The other thing to know, and, and this is partly just because everybody likes a picture of a puppy, um, but the other thing to know is that Helen and I have just welcomed a little Labrador pup into our home. So she's 11 weeks old, and sometimes she looks cute like that, and sometimes she's chewing on us and tearing things apart and running around the house. But there we go. Um, so that's a little bit about me. So just, just to give you a little bit of a, an indication of uh, who I am, for those of you who don't know me, and um, hopefully those that do know me, realized those things in me and I'm not telling complete untruths in all the things I've just said. Okay, so on to the important stuff. Next one, please, Chris. So Ben said at the, the outset, the, the thing that if you don't remember anything else from today about this Psalm, Psalm 117, the thing to remember is it's all about a steadfast love for everyone. And that's really the, the, the kind of tagline today, the key takeaway, that if nothing else, just remember that this psalm is all about a steadfast love, a steadfast loving kindness for everyone. Now, I don't spend enough time in the psalms, I realised, and uh, over the past few weeks as we've looked as a church at the psalms, it's reminded me just how much I like diving into them. Um, I'm always amazed at the, the kind of richness and the depth and the complexity in there. And you can go really technical. You can look at some of the, the, the structures that don't come across in the English, the kind of language structures in there, the way they're constructed. They're very intricate, very complicated. There's uh, lots of illusions and imagery and stuff in there that's, that's really deep and really fulfilling. And I love just exploring them and getting into them and getting my teeth into them and, and kind of looking at how well-fashioned they are. So, next slide, please, Chris. You can imagine my horror when I realized I just had a psalm that was two verses, okay? The shortest psalm, the shortest chapter in the Bible, in fact, uh, Psalm 117. It's not quite the, the heights of technical writing or the complexity that maybe I had hoped for. But, as we look at this, we're going we're gonna to just pick up on some of the words that are in this psalm, because actually, even in these two verses, there's an incredible depth and richness to what the, the psalmist is trying to get across. Quite simply, it's a, it's a short psalm of praise, um, but it's full of, of scriptural truth, and unfortunately, it doesn't mean we're going to have a very, very short sermon, um, so you're not, you're not getting away with that just because we're having two verses. And it, it might be a brief psalm, but it, it makes a very distinctive statement. So it echoes the theme of, of God's great love for, towards the people of Israel, but it actually reorients it slightly. So instead of it being focused on the people of Israel, it's actually looking to the nations outside of Israel and calling on them to praise Yahweh, calling on them to praise God for his character, for his promises, for his steadfast, faithful love. And that's why this psalm is all about steadfast, faithful, loving kindness for all. 
Which puts it in contrast to the Psalms that we've looked at in the past couple of weeks because we had um, Psalm 114, which was all about the exit of the people of Israel from, from Egypt at the hand of God. We looked at Psalm 115, which is contrasting Yahweh against the, the nations around them and the idols that they had and the, the nations mocking Israel because their God couldn't be seen. And then last week, Psalm 116, we had this, this really deeply personal psalm. The psalmist writing from a really dark place but talking about how faithful God is and how loving God is. And so this is in in marked contrast because suddenly instead of looking internally at Israel, instead of looking internally at at the, the struggle of the writer, we're turning our focus outwards from the nation of Israel. Next slide please Chris. Thank you. So We've just said this psalm's different in its outlook, and we're looking bigger than the nation of Israel. The writer's got something bigger in mind. We're going to look at just some of the words here to try and get a fuller sense of what's been said. Now, as we go through this, we're going to be looking at these, these Hebrew words, but I'm going to use the, the anglicized, the English um, uh, pronunciations of those words, so I'm not going to try and, 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 and be clever or anything like that. And... The important thing is we're just, we're just trying to get a sense of these words to understand the richness of what's being said in this psalm. So don't worry about remembering all the detail. It's a, it's a sense of the love of God that we're looking for here and a sense of what the psalmist is trying to get across to us. So here, nations and peoples are the two words we're going to start with. So the, the Hebrew word used for, for nations is talking about geographic territories. It, it's goy and it refers to people groups outside uh, oh, sorry, geographic territories, sorry, outside of Israel. And peoples there um, is the word Ummah, which refers to ethnic groups that are outside of Israel. So what the psalmist is saying, praise the Lord, all you nations, praise the, nation, uh, praise the Lord, all you lands, all you places, all you geographical areas, extol him, all you peoples, all you different peoples, ethnic peoples outside of Israel, all of you praise God. That's what the, the writer is saying. So there's a sense that the, the psalmist here is calling on the, the non-Israelite world and all of the people in it and saying to the entirety of creation, come and praise God. Recognize who God is, who Yahweh is. Recognize his character, all that he's done. And in doing that, come to praise him. But who is this, this Lord, this God, Yahweh? Who is it that the nations have been called, called to praise? If we, we jump to the next slide, please, Chris. We're going to look at this, this word, Lord, that the psalmist is using to describe who the nations have been called to praise. And the word there is, is Yahweh. Okay? And that's the name that God discloses to Moses when he appears to him in the burning bush. When Moses says, who am I to say is sending me to the people and God responds with said I, uh, tell them who <laughs> tell them I am sent you that's what uh, that's the same word that's being used here by the psalmist and that word is often rendered as I am who I am but it could also be rendered as I am who I will be and I I am who I was um, and the second time that, that God is speaking to, to Moses and he's, he's using this word Yahweh to disclose himself to Moses. He relates it to the forefathers of Israel, to, to Jacob, to Abraham, Abraham, sorry, and, uh, and Isaac. And it, what God is saying to Moses is, I am 
who I will be. I am who I am. I am this God who is the one who was before, the one who will be forever. But I'm also this same God that's already spoken to the nation Israel. I'm, all, I'm the one who spoke to your forefathers in, in Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So you've got this sense of, of the ineffability of God, this God who is, who is overall, who is the creator of everything, who is massive and fills the universe, and yet is the same one that's wanted to disclose himself and meet with his people. He's choosing to make his presence known and to commune with humanity. This God has entrusted his name to his people. And the love of God, the, the intimacy of God, the, the desire for God to commune with his people that's, that's indicated in the use of Yahweh is kind of confirmed by, by ancient custom. So as we looked at in the, um, the, the gospel verses this morning, that was the preamble of Jesus to the Lord's Prayer. And one of the things that Jesus says is, don't be like the pagans. Don't be like the pagans who babble on. And what's in view there, what Jesus is talking about, is pagan nations who would use the name of their gods to call upon them and to call them to action, would use their name and repeat it time and time again to call their god to action, to make their feelings, to make their needs known to their God. And the contrast here is that Jesus is saying, don't be like them. You don't need to be like that. God knows what you need. God is close to you and with you. So this, this kind of idea that we've been given is that, that God, in revealing his name to Moses, is, is giving a, an indication of the kind of relationship that he wants with people. Um, he's revealed his name to indicate that he is a God who wants relationship rather than a God who wants power or subjugation. But it highlights the difference between Yahweh and the other gods around. God is committing himself to Israel by by disclosing his name to Moses, by giving the people this name Yahweh to use. And in doing so, he opens himself up to relationship, to intimacy, but also to grieving when the nation doesn't do what God asks of them. So this commitment that's been brought to mind when God announces himself to Moses, this idea of God wanting to commune and be in relationship, that's what we should be thinking of when we see this, this, this word Yahweh, this word Lord as it's rendered in our English Bibles. Um, and so what we have here in this psalm is this, this very interesting word that's used for God to describe himself and describe his position before the nation Israel. But it's been used in connection with nations outside of Israel. So this, this same way that God has announced himself to his people and made it known that he wants to have a relationship with his people... The psalmist is, is throwing that wide open and calling on the nations around, the peoples around, to recognize Yahweh as well. So next slide, please, Chris. So why is it these nations should be calling upon God? What is it that, that, that makes God um, a God that they would want to call upon? Why should they be praising Yahweh? Well, there's two, two words that are used in verse 2 there, uh, chesed is the first one. The, the, uh, the root word there is, is hesed. And that, um, that means love. It means steadfast love or graciousness. And then mf, which is rendered as faithfulness here or trustworthiness, um, is what's in view. They're often paired together to describe Yahweh um, and to describe one who is absolutely dependable to fulfill all of his promises. 
So we're just going to consider for a moment, if we go to the next slide, please, Chris, this root word, this, this love. What kind of love is it that we're talking about? Because love in English is a really overloaded term, isn't it? We love our spouse, we love our partner, we love our children, we love chocolate cake, we love our pets, we love going out running, we love blah, blah, blah. We use love in many different ways. It's overloaded in many ways. And um, we, we have to understand what we mean by love from context. But the word here is very specific. The word love, this hesed, is very uh, specific. Um, when God spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, um, he used this word love. And it's speaking about God's unique love for his people. The word is bound up with the idea of covenant, a solemn agreement with people. Um, and this binding agreement, the, this love that we're talking about, indicates a self-constraint on the part of God. Um, God puts himself in a position where he chooses to be constrained in order to commune with his people. Um, it, it gives us a feeling of loyalty, of kindness, of forbearance, of grace and faithfulness shown to Israel on the part of God. And it's, it also brings to, to mind the idea that God wants to maintain this relationship. It's not enough that God just, just wants to, to love and to cherish his nation, but he also wants them to reciprocate, to cherish him as well, to be part of this covenantal agreement and to provide a way, should the covenant be breached, for it to be restored and put back together. So there's, a, there's a range of complex senses of this, this word. Um, and it is, this, this word covenant is quite a, a difficult word for us to get our head around a lot of the time. Um, but in Deuteronomy, when the word hesed is used, when the word love is used to, to speak about God, it's always in this context of um, covenant, this binding agreement. And one way in which the people hearing that would have interpreted it is in the sense of the, the treaties that they understood from nations around them. So the treaty that's kind of in mind here is what's called a vassal treaty. And if you imagine nations in the ancient Near East uh, warring one with another, the kind of treaty that's in mind is a treaty whereby one nation, a more powerful nation, has come upon another and instead of vanquishing them, instead of deporting them from their land, what they do is they, they arrange a treaty between the two parties. So the stronger party agrees to be constrained in some way. And the, the, the kind of receiving party, like the weaker party, agrees to be, to be bound by the, by the agreement as well, to be constrained in the same way for the mutual benefit of both of them. And that's the sense in which this covenantal love would have been understood by those hearing it. There's a, a sense of the vassal pledging allegiance to a higher power and the higher power restraining themselves from dealing with them um, in a certain way in, um, by accepting that, that kind of um, commitment of the nation to, to the agreement that's been reached. So it confers obligations on both parties, this type of, of covenantal relationship, this kind of covenantal love. Um, in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 7.12, it's kind of exemplified in the language there. So the God says to the people, if you pay attention to these laws and are careful to follow them, then the Lord your God will keep his covenant of love with you as he swore to your ancestors. So love is compliance, if you like, with terms of an agreed treaty. 
that's the kind of sense in which the word hesed is used and understood. It's this, this binding agreement between two parties. Okay? Now, if we move on and we move on to, to what this steadfast love is, it's a modification of, of hesed. And it means kindness in Hebrew, does this, this, this chesed. It's derived from, from this idea of love. Uh, and it, it kind of embodies this dedicated covenantal love that we've already thought about. Um, but this steadfast love is often found in the Psalms because it refers to God's loving kindness towards people. And um, during the history of God's relationship with his people, this, this word, this steadfast love, has taken on different meanings. Um, but it's the idea that God showed loving kindness towards the nation of Israel, even when they didn't deserve it. The love of God isn't dependent upon the way people behave towards uh, God, but it's part of his character. It doesn't depend on the righteousness of the people and how worthy they are for receiving God's love, but it's all about God's character. And this steadfast love of God is faithful no matter what. In the, the verse 2 there, we have this great steadfast love towards us. And the, the kind of modification there is the idea that, that this kindness of God has prevailed over us. It's protected us um, in the view of the writer. And so all of this idea, this idea of relationship, of faithfulness, of loving kindness, and, and the depth of them that are in view in these Hebrew words, um, all of this that was originally reserved for the nation of Israel has been brought into this wider purview by the writer and saying, all you nations, all you peoples, praise God, understand all that he is, understand his great loving kindness for you all, and praise him as a result. So if we go to our I think, next slide, thanks Chris. Yeah. So as we've looked at these, these halal psalms, we've considered that these would have been psalms that Jesus would have been singing at the Passover. And as we think about this psalm and consider that Jesus at this time was preparing himself and preparing his disciples for what was to come. He knew that he would shortly be going to the cross. He knew that he would shortly be being put to death. He knew that kind of crisis moment that, that was coming, that, that moment where he would be the redeemer of the nation Israel, of his people, of those who would turn to him in faith and accept the gift of salvation. And he's looking at that, we can imagine, prior to it happening. And he's singing this psalm, praise the Lord, all nations, extol him, all peoples. And the psalmist here clearly has something prophetic in view. Um, and Jesus himself is going to be the one who fulfills this. He's going to be the one who takes upon himself the cost and takes uh, and provides by himself the means of establishing the kind of relationship that the psalmist has in mind with everybody in the world who is willing to accept him. And that kind of loving kindness that is offered by God, this kind of covenantal loving kindness, this, that's going to be enshrined in covenantal uh, agreement, that's what Jesus is going to achieve for everyone at the cross. That's what Jesus had in view, I'd like to think, as he sings this psalm prior, you know, in those um, hours before 
kind of events start to, to spiral, if you like, and he, he has those, that, that moment of crisis and, that, and what ultimately leads to him going to the cross. So I find it difficult to imagine the kind of emotions that must have been going through his mind um, at that time, considering the, the immediacy of what was to come and kind of the, the, the pain and the darkness that we thought about last week in Psalm 116 that must have rung true for him in one sense, but at the same time followed up with this Psalm, perhaps looking to what he was going to achieve for everyone, looking to, to what actually we are recipients of today. Uh, Paul sums it all up in his quote of Psalm 117 in, in Romans 15, the Apostle Paul. He says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness, in order to confirm his promises given to the patriarchs, and in order that the Gentiles, those outside of the nation of Israel, might glorify God for his mercy. And he goes on, as it is written, and he quotes from the Old Testament, he quotes from Samuel and, and the Psalms, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing your name. And then he quotes from Deuteronomy, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people, with the people of God. And again, this from Psalm 117, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all peoples extol him. We today are recipients of what the psalmist had in mind in this psalm. We can look at these prophetic words uh, that, that call us to praise. We can see all uh, that Jesus achieved for us at the cross for those that, that put their faith and their trust in him. We can remember all that God has done. We can remember his great and steadfast love, the same love that's talked about there in the psalm. And, and we can just do nothing but pour out praise, just like the psalmist would ask us to do. A steadfast love, a steadfast loving kindness for all. And note the, the intent and the action here too. The love of God that we've talked about is active. This covenantal love isn't just, just a word. It's deep, it's powerful, it's solemn. It's the same love that, that God had for his people and drove him to seek relationship with them. It's the same love that, that drove and sustained Jesus throughout his time on earth and drove him to, to the cross to, to achieve that salvation, achieve that way that God could be in relationship with each and every one of us. And it no doubt sustained him through through those dark moments that were to come as he would have been singing it at the Passover. So this love, this hesed, it's not just a word, it's an action. It's got an active component to it and, and it applies to us as people too. You know, hesed can be applied to, to human love. It's often used in the context of covenant, often used in the context of, of, of marriage um, and betrothal. It suggests God loved God's love for us but remember that, that in this route of, of treaty and of agreement, there are requirements for both parties. We know that God loves us, yes, and we want to enter into relationship with him through the Lord Jesus Christ. But that, that confers responsibility on us too. The idea that we should, be meant, we should participate in that love of God and we should show it to those around us. Both parties benefit from this relationship you know the, the apostle paul would say in ephesians 2 and verse 10 that god has predestined great things for us to do jesus said in john 10 10 that that the reason he came was that we might have life and have it in abundance ultimately hesed is a powerful expression of loyalty and of love that should encourage us to be loving encourage us to the same compassionate behavior the same desire for relationship that god has Last slide, please, Chris. 
So we're back where we started. A steadfast loving kindness for all. A love of God for his people. A covenantal love. A, a partnership love. Uh, a love in action by a loving God. And that same love that should define us by extension because of our relationship with him. Because of what Christ has done for us. We've accepted that, those who have put their faith and their trust in him. We've become recipients of that love. A love that should lead us to go out and love as he has loved us. A love that should cause us to fall down in praise and in wonder, just as the psalmist would have us do. I hope that's helpful. I, uh, I hope that as we go out into whatever we've got next in the week, whatever we've got next today, that we might go out and just remember something of that steadfast love of God for each and every one of us. Shall we just quickly pray? Our Lord God and, and Heavenly Father, we just we thank you for these simple words of the psalmist and we thank you for, for all that they encompass and the fact that these words written so many years ago with a, with a particular view for a particular people and the surrounding nations, they are prophetic for us today. They apply through the Lord Jesus Christ to us today. And we just pray, Lord God, that as we we look at these, as we think of the depth and the richness of your love for each and every one of us, that we might be lifted up, that we might be encouraged, as the psalmist would say, to, to praise him, to praise God for his character, for his faithfulness, and for his love. So be with us, we would ask. Encourage us, we would pray. Let your spirit work within us and take us um, to the, the various activities of the rest of the day, the rest of the week. But may we remember that steadfast love of God. Lord God, we, we ask all these things in and through the precious and worthy name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Chris.